Welcome to the Legends of Oral Regeneration by the Osteology Foundation. One host, one guest, and a whole bunch of experience and expertise. Meet the people behind the names and get unique insights. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Legend of Oral Regeneration podcast, uh, a wonderful format of the Osteology Foundation, a format which is meant to get to know people which have been really very influential in the field of oral regeneration and implant dentistry. And today I'm very thrilled and very honored to have uh, a person which I really admire a lot, which I uh, have learned a lot from, and uh, which is a person which has really influenced our way, how we treat today patients very much. Welcome Frank Renoir as being part of today's podcast. Frank Renoir is a very well-known dentist based in Paris, France, and uh, he has been involved in multiple professional organizations. He was uh, EEO president, he was a board member of the uh, Osteology Foundation, and most important, he's a person which has so many different jobs. He's not just a dentist, he has so much experience in multiple ways. I don't want to say too much because that's part of what we will get to know, Frank, a little bit uh, better the next 30 minutes. And for me, I wanted to know, Frank, what has influenced your life most? Which part of your activity, your professionals, your hobbies, what has made most out of you to become the Frank Renoir of today, of 2023. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Ronnie. And uh, first of all, I'm very pleased to have this discussion with you uh, today. Whoa, your question. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's uh, analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, what is... Uh, maybe... Maybe the the person who has influenced me the more was Jean-François Tulin. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm from countryside. I come in Paris just for university. I was not the best student <laughs> in, in in at my time, and uh, because um, uh, in in uh, seventy eight and uh, from seventy eight to eighty two. The university, dental university in Paris was a little bit boring. Uh, it was a very classical way of teaching with uh, some some professors just uh, read a book. And uh, it's that was really boring. And uh, I was not the best student. Fortunately, when I, uh, just two years after uh, my graduate, I met Jean-François Turin. And uh, I... I joined the, the craniofacial team of Paul Tessier and Tulan for four years. That was just out of dentistry. And uh, oh, lot, oh, all my friends say, what, what are you doing with this guy? Because uh, we spend uh, 10 hours uh, uh, cutting the, the uh, cranium of uh, babies uh, to replace the uh, orbitis in a good uh, position. And, but they, they inspired me so much, and that that was just for me the, the four years of of dream working with the, these people, 
and probably they have influenced me a lot. But in another end, you are who you are. And from, from uh, I love to, to teach. And when I was six years old, I remember uh, uh, I was uh, giving lessons uh, for a sport to my friend. That, that, that is his man, uh, DNA. I, I love to teach. And uh, I, uh, your, your question is, is too difficult. Uh, could you ask me oh, a I to, one, please? <laughs> I wanted to start with something uh, challenging because Frank yeah. uh, needs to be challenged. Otherwise, you get bored easily. So. Maybe for the, the younger generation, I, I do remember we had, Frank and I, we had multiple discussions on our uh, multiple ways where we met. Maybe you need to give a little bit of an idea who these persons were, because the younger generation, they don't know these names anymore. Yeah. In, in our generation, these were really names which you, you really can hear the music behind that, but you need maybe to tell the younger generation what, what are these people and, and why they were so inspiring for you. Yeah. yeah. Um... Yeah, you, 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 you. I don't like to talk about me. <laughs> that is a topic I, I really don't like. So to, to summarize, I'm, uh, I'm dentist, but for, I, I would like to be a medical doctor. My, my dream, my dream when I, I was younger was to be a surgeon. I love surgery. I love the atmosphere of the operating room. I love the... the where you enter the operating room in the morning at 7 and you leave at 5 p.m. and you don't know what happened in the world and you are in a very special okay. environment for 10 hours. I love that. I love the smell. I love the sound of the operating room. And when I was 18, uh, I'm from countryside. That was easy at the time. I spent months in the operating uh, um, theater doing uh, assistance, in uh, general surgery, in gynecology, orthopedic surgery, uh, I I did the plaster, I did suture. I was just eighteen, but that that was my really my dream. But uh, you know, in France, uh, the time to become a medical doctor, you have to pass an exam, very very difficult exam. In February, I was medical doctor, and unfortunately, in in June, I, I that was not possible, and I become dentist. I was a little bit disappointed for some days, but then I'm very optimistic guy. Optimistic guy. I, I never give up and say, okay, I, I will be a dentist. Let's see what happens. And uh, as I told you, the, the the university was a little bit boring, and but fortunately, I met Jean-François Tulane and uh, Jean-François uh, just for patient, and Jean-François told me, Frank, if you if you want, you can come uh, another day to see. And obviously, the day after I was there, and the day after I was there, and one day an assistant was missing, and uh, I I become assistant with Jean Francois, and uh, and they, that was a, a team of uh, craniofacial and maxillofacial surgery. But also that was in '84, and Jean Francois Tulan was the first guy in France to place a Bradamark implant. Yes, and I was there in '84, and believe me now, implant is just something very common, very easy for everyone. But at that time, that was just so amazing, just amazing, real magic. revolution. It was magic. 
just magic and based on science. Because the, the Branamark team, they have more than 15 years of follow-up before the first publication, international publication. That was just amazing. And uh, be, because before a Branamark in France, we have a lot of uh, a prehistorical implantologists using a blade and, and superior, superior store implant with a lot of uh, complications. And that was, and you imagine you are young dentist, you love surgery, and by accident, you met the guy who placed yeah. the first implant. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm, I love to, to teach in very, very uh, soon. I, I started to give, a, to give a lectures. In uh, my first lectures was in 87. I do remember. I do remember this uh, very short one, but I prepare for years, for hours, hours, <laughs> obviously. And I, and uh, and then the the day the, the story continues. And uh, fortunately, uh, I I was what we can call pioneer in implantology. Even if I have not invented the implantology, implantology was Brian Mark and Professor Schroeder, and and we are just a uh, the guy who passed the story to give the story to others. And uh, no, that was fantastic. I am very, very lucky, and I don't regret not to be a medical doctor. Really. I like that a lot because what I always say in life, everything happens for a reason, and many things are not planned. Uh, also, in my life, actually, uh, people always think everything is very well organized, but it's not. I was, it never. Everything I planned never has uh, reached out. But when you're open as you are, and uh, and when you're curious, then everything is an opportunity and not a, a change of the plan. So through this interest in in surgery, you got to one of the most famous uh, maxillofacial surgeons, and uh, and by chance he was also the first one placing Brunemark implants in uh, in France. So this was actually the starting point of Franck Renoir's passion for. For implant dentistry at that uh, that time, have you then went to your own practice, or what was what was your next steps then before you ended up in your own famous practice in uh, in Paris? I um, I stayed uh, uh, four years with Jean Francois, and and then I have opened my own practice. Yes, well, open the practice means you have an apartment, you screw your name on, on the door. And you went for patients. Yes. And believe me, that was so difficult. Uh, I remember uh, the first year, I stayed three weeks, three weeks without one call. <laughs> and you are on your desk <laughs> looking um, for your telephone. No, yeah. no, uh, cellular phone at that time. And sometimes you you know you you take the phone say beep okay it's still working okay, <laughs> and you call your friend and say could, could you call me because I would like to check if my phone is still working <laughs> three three weeks wow was, three weeks wow <laughs> you know and and uh, no that was very very difficult yes and uh, uh, and then. Uh, um, both the patient came. What was the game changer, which which uh, uh, which made you to this? Uh, yeah, really 
in France very famous, Dennis, but also internationally very famous. What was the most important steps in order to become to that person you are today? Uh, yeah, um, so I, I've started my, my practice in uh, oral surgery. And after two years, um, when that was starting to work, Jean-Louis Giovanoli called me. And yes. Giovanoli, he was, he was at the time very famous in Prio in Europe. And uh, Jean-Louis needed someone to, to place implant in his um, um, office. And Jean-Louis called me and obviously I say yes immediately. I move my office, I reinvest uh, money, and uh, I become partner with Jean-Louis Jean Giovanoli for five years. And obviously Jean-Louis was a, a fantastic person pushing me on the podium, and uh, I learned so much with him how to write a paper because that, that was, yeah, it's not, uh, uh, yeah, you have to, to know how to uh, write a correct paper, how to uh, give a nice lecture, and, and obviously introduced me uh, to a lot of people. And uh, that was a starting point. And in 95, we moved with Jean Louis Giovanoli to the Jean Francois Tulan office, and I be, we, we we started to work straight together in this fantastic uh, office in Avenue Clébert. And this is still the office you're working now? Yes, yes, yes. So it's kind of the third yes. office. The first one was the one uh, checking the phone. Uh, yes. <laughs> the second one was Jean-Louis. Uh, uh, okay. And, and the third was uh, with uh, Tulan and... Uh, and Julian, how long did he work then with you guys? Because he is he's much older than you are. Oh, yeah. Julian stopped uh, six years ago. Okay. With Jean yes, yes. No, he, he was much older. Okay. Okay. And and to to be a little bit caricatural, but Julian uh, was in charge of the all the reconstruction, the graft, etc. And the Jean-Louis Giovanelli was more involved in perio and myself in implantology. And we had a lot, a lot of collaboration together and yes. trying to improve a little bit our knowledge and experience. Yes, that's very interesting how this, uh, every part comes together and nothing was planned. So you just uh, were open to what is coming. But now one thing interests me a lot now, Frank. Because you have been one of the first and most innovative dentists and implantologists and oral surgeons starting to place and also to lecture heavily about short implants. Yeah. I remember first, me as a young dentist, the first short implant lectures I attended was from Frank Renoir. Now, going back. As an 18-year-old, you said, I love kind of the, the smell and the taste of an operation room doing big surgeries. And now you find a way out of these big surgeries to try to reduce yeah. the invasiveness, to try to reduce the stress of the surgeon, but also of the patient. And this was like a door opener into another field of Frank Renoir. And how did you choose from being from wanting to be a, a, a surgeon, medical doctor, like to stand in the operation room from eight to, uh, uh, to five or seven to five, and now reducing the risks and reducing the stress 
and reducing the invasiveness. What was the starting point of this uh, of this development? Yes. Uh, uh, first of all, my my father was medical doctor, and in countryside, and he he told me that the first of the first of the first is to respect the patient. The patient first. Yes. No discussion. No discussion. The patient, the patient, the patient. And you have to work for the patient. For you, obviously, we are. We we want to succeed, etc. But the patient. There's now uh, I'm in I have started to work on short implant because of a patient. I had a patient, very difficult patient, very stressful patient, and I have installed two implants. That was a prototype of implant developed developed by Nobel Pharma at the time, a sh- uh, implant with a long, smooth neck, uh, because they to avoid the bone resorption going until the threads and creating peri-implantitis or infection, the idea was to have a very long, smooth neck. That was a stupid idea because you have no stimulation and boom, the bone <laughs> disappeared until the first thread. So I've installed two long implants and after one year, I had two very short implants with a long crown. Everything was bad. Everything was bad. And the patient was a difficult and very stressful patient. And I was sure to see the patient for control with a bridge in her arms. And then after two years, three years, five years, the bridge was in the mouth and the bone was very stable. They were. And the question was, why does it work? Most of the time in medicine, dentistry, we try to understand the complications, why we have failure. But the point is to try to understand why that is work. It is more difficult, but... And I've started to talk, not with dentists, because in in 95, 94, 95, dentists were against sporting plans. But I've started to talk with engineers, architects. And when I had a patient, I, I remember one patient, he was engineer in mechanics. And I, 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 we had a discussion about his uh, situation. And after I say, okay, please, could you give me five minutes? Look at this situation. I have this short implant, a long crown, and the cantilever. And the guy say, yes, it's normal. The problem is... Is a flexibility. It's normal. The, the stress absorp- absorption, etc. Wow. And believe me, I had diffi- difficulty to sleep. <laughs> if it's true, if it really is true, well, we can change the world. We can really change the dentistry. And when I, 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 I tell you the story, I have the same feeling in my stomach, in, in my skin. Think, yes. Wow, just amazing. And um, with Laurent Pierisna, he was head of uh, Prosto in, in Paris. He was um, involved in the finite element analysis. He has started to do some 
uh, a finite element analysis comparing long implant, short implant. And all the time we had the, 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 the conclusion that the stress does not go more than five, seven millimeters along the implant. And most of the stress is concentrated around the two, three first millimeters. Yes. You can, and then you can really change the, the possibility to offer simple treatment, cheaper treatment, treatment without um, uh, uh, less morbidity. It's no discussion. No discussion. That was very, that was very ahead of time. And, uh, and you really, influence in the industry significantly from that point of view. And I do remember, maybe you don't, but the, the, the first time we were actually lecturing together, this was in uh, Copenhagen, uh, at the Danish Society of Implantology. I was a, I was a baby and uh, uh, admiring uh, uh, your lecture there. And uh, David Garber was also part of that. Uh, and uh, I still own the uh, Danish Society of Oral Implantology a lot for having me invited there as a young dentist. And then I was really inspired by your short implants and also by the way you approach the things. And that's another part of Frank Renoir, which I have learned most from you. I think, yes, you influenced us with also the short implants, but one topic which you have influenced me personally, I think many more was the point that you were trying to analyze how it comes to a complication. What are the reasons of the complication? Is it the material? Is it the weather? Is it uh, the, where the, the moon phase is? Or is it the human factor? And with that, there is nothing else in dentistry which I have adapted and learned more uh, from that point of view from your side. And I would like to understand, I do know, but I love the story, how you came into this topic to try to better understand the human factor and why the human factor is so important in terms of quality control, in terms of uh, control, how successful I can execute the treatment and how much the stress is influencing our, our treatment, uh, uh, how we treat our patients. Yeah. Yes. First of all, um, before thinking about human factors, I was a very technical guy uh, doing surgery, applying protocols. And when I had a failure, I tried to understand through the protocols, through the material, through the techniques, why I, I had the failures. And uh, in, in the past, when I, I was a little bit younger, uh, five years ago, 35 uh, years ago, uh, I was helicopter pilot. And to make very short the story, and uh, I had a, an accident. During takeoff, I crashed in my helicopter. I was a pilot. And I did a very stupid uh, mistake, technical mistake. And the first analysis of my crash and was to um, criticize a helicopter, as we do in, in medicine dentistry. You lose a screw, the screw is bad. You have to, to change your implant system. But the helicopter was very safe, was totally safe. And the second level of analysis was to try to understand what was the problem. 
and we have discovered very quickly what type of errors I did. And because fortunately nobody was injured after the, this accident, the investigation stopped at the time. But for me, I was very frust frustrating because I was a good pilot. I did a lot of um, emergency procedures all the time. I, I trained a lot, a lot because helicopter is difficult, difficult machine. And I, my question, exactly like, like with the short implant, my question is why I did these stupid errors? Why? I was a good pilot. I had not a lot of experience, but a good experience. And that was not so difficult. Why? And I put my finger in the machine and I have discovered something unbelievable, really unbelievable. And uh, based on neuroscience and the influence of the, um, the brain, the brain, not the influence, is how the brain functions in a specific environment how the stress cast can influence our actions, our decisions. And uh, I, that was not easy because at, at the, in 95, I was alone. I was totally alone. I, I was in the desert crying, please listen to me, listen to me. <laughs> and and uh, nobody, nobody was interested by the human factors. That was, no, we, we don't need it. We have a good implant, we have good membrane, good suture. You don't need it. It's, uh, if you have a failure, it's because you are not good. Yes. And uh, I, I met um, the, the PI brand mark of human factors and um, René Amalberti, a guy who was just an amazing person, very happy that someone was interested by the human factors. And uh, I, I work with René Amalberti and other persons. Now I'm a specialist in human factors in France. And I have really discovered that even if you want to do your best, you are you have a lot of experience, you have a good team, everything seems to be under control, you can have problems. You can have problems. And just to to explain very, very uh, uh, shortly, the brain is not a fantastic is it is a fantastic machine. But the brain is not, was not done uh, 400,000 years ago to perform surgery or to pilot an helicopter or to do bone regeneration. We have the same brain than Homo sapiens, the same, the same structure. But at the time of Homo sapiens, he has just to deal with the food, with uh, the reproduction the, and uh, the danger. <laughs> and we have to then plus we have to drive a car, we have to go to university, we have to place implant, we have to deal with a difficult patient, we have to manage an, our office. And the brain is not done to do so much uh, things. And, and um, yeah, the reality is 95% of the time, our brain is functioning in a routine mode to save energy. It's uh, what we call the System 1, by, developed by Kahneman, Nobel Prize in, in uh, 2002. And 95% of our time, we are in a routine mode. 
And only 5% of the time, we are in a smart mode. But we have to perform their practices in a routine mode most of the time. And it's why we need to develop protocols. We need to use tools like a checklist to control ourselves. It's not because we are a bad person or because we, are, uh, we, are, we have not a good knowledge. It's just because we are human, we have a brain, which is not able to manage thousands and thousands of millions of informations per second. It's not possible. So we need to develop some protocols, communication, to have a specific communication in our operating theater. We have to use a checklist. We have to uh, allow our assistant to say, doctor, something is wrong. Yesterday, I was doing surgery. And before we are talking about bone regeneration, before placing the material, my assistant say, Do, you don't want to clean a little bit more? And they were. And she has another vision than me. You understand? Yes. And she means that I, I left soft tissue in the cavity. Yeah. But imagine that I have a very authority behavior. Yes. And my assistant used to... Ever. I, yeah. I, I like the soft tissue, and maybe I will have a complication of bad result. And yesterday, yesterday, my assistant said, Frank, because... Normally, she called me doctor, but when we have a problem or something to say, she called me Frank. <laughs> That's very and good. Frank, because for the patient, you know, it's, it's difficult to say, oh, but be careful, bye-bye. <laughs> yes. And it's uh, Frank, I think that you have to use a burger. And I, I, I had a look and I, I, I forget the soft tissue. So that is another way of using human factors. Yes. You allow your assistant to control yourself, cross-control, and yes. in aviation, it's of use. Yes. So, but and that, you can lose. I, th I love that topic. I think it's so important uh, uh, in, in the industry and, and in other disciplines. And when you say in 95%, we're working in our routine mode. Yeah. Is that also the, the best mode? Or what can we do that also when we are in the 5% not routine mode to be successful then? Is this the way to do it then with the protocols? Or how can we train ourselves to have more kind of flexibility that also when, uh, because there always will be moments where I'm outside the routine. And how to become more successful when I'm outside the routine? Yeah. Uh, we, we are under a routine mode, the system one, because we have to save energy. The, the brain consumes an average of 20 to 25% of the energy produced by the body when it is working in system two, the smart mode. System two. So it is impossible. When you are a student, beginner, the first time 
you did your surgery or you placed your implant, your first implant, at the end of surgery, you were exhausted. Yes. You were retired because you were most of the time in system two in smart mode. And you, because of the education, the, the, the knowledge, the, the learning is located in the prefrontal brain. And then the, the prefrontal gives a key of the truck to the, and another part of the, of the brain around the striatum, and I call him the administrator. So that is a system one to, to make very simple. So you, you learn, it's difficult, and then you create some neuro, neurological uh, pathway in your brain, and you give the key of the truck to, to the uh, administrator. But the reality is, when you are working in your practice, because you had an education and training, the administrator makes the job, and you are doing, you place your implant thinking about your vacation. Yes, that is what you do. Yes, Ronnie, even if you are Professor Ronnie himself, <laughs> when you place an implant, you think about your vacation. But the reality is the smart part of the brain control unconsciously your administrator. Okay. You have a loop between prefrontal striatum. You have a loop always. The problem is, if you are stressed, under stress, you shut off a little bit the prefrontal. And the administrator at the time is not under the control of the smart brain. Is if something wrong happened at the time, you maybe you were not able to adapt the situation to the situation. You know? Yes. It's why for you need education, you need training to allow your administrator to work without the control of the smart brain in case of fatigue, tiredness, stress, dehydration. You have a lot of reasons to, to close your smart brain. Education, it's why in the pilot, every six months, they go in, in a simulator to repeat, to have results, to train them to work in case of they are not able to be under the control of your smart brain. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's very, I love, I love this discussion. What I also learned once from you is when you're in stress, the different areas of the brain are activated, like in the past, where we had to run away from uh, a dangerous animal uh, uh, and and in surgery it means i just want to get things done uh, uh, as fast as possible want to get out of the operation room and it's not anymore that the brain really pushes us to get the best possible treatment i just want to run away from what i'm doing yeah yeah the the stress is is um, a mechanism to protect you yeah. As a pen, the pen is a protection. Fortunately, you have a pen because you can feel infection inside you or you put your, your hand 
on something very hot, you remove your hand immediately. That is a protection. The stress is just a protection. Yeah. And when you are under stress, you have two ways to react. The acute, acute stress. The either you leave, you fly, either you fight. Yeah. If you are facing a, a lion, a small lion, you you want to to fight. If a big lion, you want to escape. It's the same in surgery. Some people, some surgeons, become very, very nervous when they are under stress, and they are very uh, have a difficult behavior with the team around, and others want to to flee, to escape, and they run their surgery without any control. They don't control the angulation of their implant, and and finally, you can have an implant in a root. And when they, after 15 minutes, when they have recovered a little bit, they look at the X-ray and say, why, why I did the stupid things? Why, why? And that is because of, of the stress. They, when you are under stress, you lose, you diminish or, or you, you lose the capacity to uh, use your smart brain. Yeah. And that's normal because you, once again, when you are facing a lion, you have not the time and you have not the energy to analyze the behavior of the lion. <laughs> have not the time. Yes. And, and today, in, in, in the modern human, have exact, exactly the same reaction. But the main problem, the main, main issue for the modern human is that 90 to 95% of, of our stress is not because a real danger. Yeah. Yeah. If you open your agenda and you see the name of a difficult patient, yeah. 5 p.m., all the day you will be under stress. Yes. <laughs> but finally, maybe the patient uh, won't show up. Maybe the patient will be very nice. Maybe the situation will be simpler than what he told you on the phone. But all the day you were under the stress. And 95% of our stress for modern humans are uh, endogenous. They are not because of reality. Yes. Yes. That's that our problem. And you have some techniques to reduce the stress. And uh, but, um, yes, you can, you can work on it. Yes. Meditation, good, good thing, sport. And uh, the health condition, uh, deshydration, for example, if you don't drink uh, during your day, you start to create a stress because your, your uh, sensor inside you start to say, okay, we are going to miss the water. Okay, I have to save energy. Yes. What is part of your, of your body which uses most energy the smart brain yes i love i love this discussion. and uh, i have to say this is for me has really influenced my personal life uh but also the way i'm, I'm leading uh, the clinic in, uh, in in zurich significantly now we already come to the unfortunately to the uh, uh to the end of the podcast and now i would like to have the last question 
I do know you have uh, two children. Uh, none of them became dentists, but let's imagine your kids are becoming dentists now. In, uh, they they want to become dentists now in 2023. What would you tell them for the future, how they should structure their education, what they should pay attention? How would you advise them to become great dentists in a modern world uh, uh, in the upcoming years? Yes. Ronnie, I, I, once again, you have a very, very smart question and very elegant way to... <laughs> my job here, so... Uh... <laughs> it's, your job. it's because you are also kids and you <laughs> would like to have some advice for your... <laughs> Uh, first of all, I, I would say, take your time. Don't jump the steps. You need education. And that was, that was, um, uh, published, especially for the NASA to, to, to guy, Dreyfus and Dreyfus 2000. Education needs time. The brain need to be transformed very slowly. Don't jump the steps. And uh, don't start to think about extraction immediate implantation if you have not at least 50 implants, 50, 50 implants, simple implant, at least. And, and when I say 50, it's, it's really not a lot. Because you have to transfer the information from the smart brain to the administrator, okay? Until the administrator is not able to place an implant, you are thinking about your vacation. Don't do things too difficult. Yeah. Otherwise, you have too much information. Take your time. The second thing, you need real education. Today, we have a lot of tools, uh, chat GPT, all these things we are coming on the market. It's, that is very funny. That is very fantastic. Please keep the control of your, yourself and don't give the key of the truck to the computer. I, I'm, now I'm not joking. I do believe that will be a danger for the future. And the people will have less and less education today. The dentist without any education can place an implant. Yeah, he just needs a CT scan and uh, a good uh, company is around him. He makes a CT scan he send, and, and uh, he makes an impression, digital impression of the patient sent to somewhere uh, far away in the world and he is able to receive a surgical guide. Without any education of biology, biomechanics, nothing. He's yes. able. And yeah. That that is a huge danger. Maybe for hey, let's say let's be optimistic for fifty percent of the patients are, that will be efficient. But yeah, Ronnie, you know that things are very subtle. Sometimes a little detail during surgery, something is wrong. Even if you have a nice guide and you have to adapt, you have to use your brain to say it's something is not. You you have the feeling with your finger. Yeah, the the patient reaction. Yep, you have some details. What we call the the wink, weak signal, weak signal. I'm 
I will really encourage them to to learn, to learn, to to follow a very very strong education, to be free, and not to be under the control of companies. Yes. If you have no knowledge, the first guy who come in your office and he opens the, the, the mallet and say, look at how my material is fantastic. If you have no knowledge, you say, yes. okay, yes. And another word, another, another guy come in your office, say, oh, yes, it's fantastic. You need to be free. And, um, and the only way to be free is education. I think that's a very nice way to uh, to come to the end of our of our podcast i would like to quickly summarize maybe three major mm. points which i have learned which will take with me for my journey for my future journey and hopefully also a lot of people which listen to this podcast take for them number one what we have learned from frank is that he was very open uh, uh, for whatever comes there. So he has taken then the, the chance to go to one of the most uh, renowned maxillofacial surgeons and has there been in touch with implants and that's how things actually have started. Then number two, that we should not just think of techniques and the lab techniques. We should really take into account that we are complex human beings and that uh, the behavior, how we execute a treatment, how we do a surgery is heavily influenced by us as a human person, a human factor in the brain. And number three, what I love most is education is freedom. And I think that fits very well also to osteology. I couldn't agree more with you, Frank, by saying when we are educated and when we are doing a good education, we become more independent. We, have, we are more in the driver's seat and we are more free. And I think with that, uh, I think it could not be a better way to end this podcast. On behalf of the Osteology, on behalf of me personally, and as a friend, uh, I would like to thank you very much, Frank, for, uh, for this wonderful podcast and interview. I think we both won't forget it. And, uh, and I think it will have a lot of impact for, for us as dentists, but also for our future generation as potential dentists or in any other discipline. So thank you very much, Frank, for your kind and uh, inspiring to you. Thank you, Ronnie. Thank you very much for Osteology Foundation for this opportunity. Merci. One host, one guest, and a whole bunch of experience and expertise. Meet the people behind the names and get unique insights.